Welcome again, Seymour Heligara, the host of the Pastor Soapbox. It's great to be with you. Uh, obviously, under the circumstances, we are still recovering. We've had COVID and uh, so many, uh, we can say, roller coaster uh, experiences, the ups and the downs. And it's been a difficult time for our nation and the world. I've been praying so much for God's people, praying for the nation. And uh, praying, most of all, that God will continue to use this as a platform for us to declare the hope that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, it is so easy for us to, to get distracted over the, the main need, and, and that is for the redemption of sinners. And that is the case for how we view humanity at large. And so this topic, racism, it's uh, it, it is really just... A starter. It's not biblical because when we are looking at each other, it's not different races, maybe various ethnicities and cultural differences. But at the end of the day, it's it's human beings all created in the image of God, qualitative, qualitatively the same, um, but in need of reconciliation. So what we have, we have hostility. Cultural hostility, ethnic hostility, ethnic pride. Uh, and uh, from that, uh, we have the, this viral uh, hatred toward each other. I do want to say that my, my heart and prayer goes out to our nation, uh, the people who are suffering. Just as of this podcast, we're, we're looking at over a dozen people killed as a result of the protest. So the protest is not saving lives, it's actually taking lives. And that is catastrophic. For the one George Floyd death, you have 12 casualties through this, and the numbers will most likely grow. This is, this is disheartening. It's, uh, it's senseless because the protests are not producing life, they're taking life. So... Someone is sacrificing the well-being of humanity to prove a point. And I'm not sure the point is the preservation of life. I think it's the destruction of life. Once more, I have to emphasize, and I, I'm not going to convince anyone where I stand, uh, but I am concerned about the families grieving, uh, praying for them, but also praying for the, the suffering family who suffered at the hands of the officers, meaning the officers' family members, wife, children, uh, father, mother, sister, brother, praying for them because this has a ripple effect on, on, on humanity in general. And I think having that view uh, is helpful because it... it, it it frames the problem biblically. For we not only have the, the, the one receiving the action, but the one actually initiating it and the act of evil done on the part of Derek Chauvin uh, and uh, the officers who neglected to uh, protect the people that they were called to serve, that they too have been arrested. And then in Ahmad Arbery's case, uh, files, uh, charges will be filed, but also there is proof that uh, one of the perpetrators 
uh, harbored uh, hatred towards Ahmad Arbery. And uh, so we're grateful to the Lord that those things are coming out in the open. But humanity's suffering, not just those who have died, but the family members and also the family members uh, who are now left picking up the pieces after their father or brother or husband carried out atrocious acts of sin against another. I would say that this is a separate issue. This, this, the image of God is a separate issue. And I want to stress that. I want to stress that as I look at this, I, I see what scripture teaches concerning this particular problem. And it is an image of God issue. The Imago Dei uh, is, I think, the pressing concern the Christian should have. Now, when we look at the racial lines, that's when it gets fuzzy and, and it becomes more of an atheistic evolutionary uh, position. And uh, I, that's just not biblical. Now, add to that, which is what I'm going to focus on for a few moments, is uh, the, the BLM movement, the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, they're building a false narrative. I just gave you the ratio. The one George Floyd death, we, are, we, are, we think that there are at least 12 deaths associated with with the aftermath of his death, that doesn't add up. There should be no deaths associated with it if there was real grief. And yet very little is, is being said by these movements. And I know when I warned everyone about the, the Black Lives Matter movement and the Blackout Tuesday, that there was a relationship between the two. Uh, it, it did set off alarms and some offense. And, uh, you know, the question of my timing was there. But my concern, as it has been with other pastors, I'm not the first one doing it. Presently, in the past, there were others who were pioneers in sounding out the clarion call, <clears throat> especially when uh, the the critical race theory um, uh, opposition and also the intersectionality opposition came from uh, men like Dr. MacArthur and others uh, who who adamantly opposed this because they knew that it was not scriptural. They received so much criticism. And then on, on our end, we are receiving criticism because we are lacking our, quote, blackness which I would say that if I'm lacking blackness, fine, but what does that mean? Because that category, as I said before, is not biblical. Yet I am not ashamed to associate myself with a people that are ethnically like me uh, in the sense of our appearance and also our history, uh, but my identity is in the Lord Jesus Christ and with his people. Uh, so I am comfortable around all humans. I am extremely comfortable around fellow believers, especially when we're like-minded and we can talk about these topics without getting into racial epitaphs and uh, the history of slavery without having a resolution that what you may have intended for evil, God meant for good. Through slavery, this evil, wicked scheme by man, right? Uh, in the wisdom of God, in spite of man's folly and sin, God still redeemed a people through it, and to him be all the glory. Okay, now, let's get back to the BLM. He said, well, where's this guy going? Here I am, the Black Lives Matter movement. The BLM movement, the Black Lives Matter movement, it, it, it looks almost looks for the, a perfect storm, and this is a perfect storm. Uh, you have just the, the, uh, the, the uh, excessive 
staying at home orders and the people's emotion and, and their drive and the drinking is up and uh, the tempers are flaring. And now you add this to it into the pot and it's a perfect storm to, to, to ride into the outcry of the world, right? And so they're using the frustration we see. They're using uh, the tears, the fears, the lack of what they would say is a social resolution to the problems in society. They're using our athletes uh, to do that. Uh, many of them are, are depraved, albeit one NBA player uh, actually encouraged the world to pray uh, for those who carried out this evil. And uh, I, I was told uh, by my son that uh, he, he did not necessarily um, receive a favorable response from everyone. But once again, praying for your enemies. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? Yeah, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This animosity, this hatred, uh, it is not of the Lord. It is not of our Savior. It is of the adversary. And when we fail to understand that we could do the same thing Officer Chauvin and his peers did, and we do not understand that we simply have not come face to face with our sin and face to face with the gruesome sacrifice that Christ suffered on the cross. But for those who do, they get it, right? They get it. They understand. But the BLM movement, it, it, it's to incite rage and hatred. It replays the past. It goes back 400 years. It goes back 50 years. It goes back five years. And it says nothing's been resolved. Here we are with the same old thing, the same old problem. And that's simply not true. It is an absolute false narrative. Now, this gruesome incident by Floyd, it needs to be separated from their movement. Their movement is opportunistic. They're taking a situation where Floyd was not innocent. He had two drugs in his system. So it's possible he was hallucinating. Although um, uh, the, the, the pressure on his neck by the, the officer is a legitimate thing. You look at that and this guy is actually trying to free himself from the office and the officer refuses to move. That is horrific. But it is a separate horrifying incident from what the Black Lives Matter are doing. And we have to look at each each incident and then we have to look at this institution that is erected to dismantle morality, dismantle Christ, dismantle the gospel and its, its essence in the lives of the Christian, but also the world. So now when you think about George Floyd, he actually left Houston. Uh, he had a series of runnings with the law during his youth into his 20s. Uh, he was arrested uh, for a robbery and aggravated assault. He, he held a gun to a pregnant woman's belly because he was demanding for uh, cash and drugs. And uh, so he was not a very good start in his late teens and early 20s. And so at the urging of a friend, he moved to Minnesota and, and uh, had a fresh start, which, you know, you look at that and one of the, the tragic realities in our world, we think leaving a state will make things better. I heard that over 30 years ago when so many people were moving their children from New York out of the bad environment in New York into Orlando. And all of a sudden you saw more graffiti and you saw the gang started to grow. Uh, they forgot to take New York out of their children. Uh, they left New York with New York in their children. And uh, so you, you may take the person out of the city, but you can't take the city out of them, especially when it comes to the corruption. Only the spirit of God can do that in salvation. And when we look at Floyd's life, we, we see a man who, who needed the mercy of God because he was spiraling downward in drug and, and also illegal activity. Now, I look at Officer Derek Chauvin. There's no difference between Derek Chauvin and myself had it not been for the absolute sovereign grace of God. So when we look at these instances, 
with God's mercy in view, it really forces us to take a step back, doesn't it? And analyze what we see from Scripture's point of view and not ours, right? Then that makes this issue, all right, and how we look at it from God's standpoint, we see the value in the image of God, and therefore life should be valued. But then when we look at the image of God, we are not seeing color as such because we have two people created in the image of God whose lives ended up going in the wrong direction, right? The tragic death of George Floyd, but also uh, Officer Derek Chauvin and his, his peers. Four men created in the image of God, in one sense, uh, lives uh, disrupted or lost, and when you see that casualty, it's a ripple effect because you think about the family, you think about the city and all of those things. Just as a quick aside, the rioting and the fires, we can say it's a separate incident, but it's still interrelated. Right? It's a spillover of depraved people doing what is right in their own eyes. We're looking at a modern day judges before us where there was no king in the land and the people did what was right in their own eyes. There's no leader. There, there are many uh, heads. Uh, there, there are many heads in the the civil quote civil rights movement, and uh, they don't really have a sense of vision because it is not from the Word of God. We also add to this: uh, as much as Dr. Martin Luther King accomplished, uh, I am I am one hundred percent, one hundred percent in total disagreement with his convictions. He hated the Lord Jesus Christ. I didn't say he had a partial love for him. He hated Christ. He did not accept the incarnation. He didn't accept anything supernatural. Uh, and, and so a few years ago, it's back in 2018, it was the 50th anniversary of his assassination. The Gospel Coalition put something together, and uh, it, was, it was to reflect on the progress made after his assassination. And some of that was spent on Martin Luther King's legacy. And then, pardon me if I say this, brethren, I'm just, I hope you understand, I'm not calling anyone out to be critical, uh, but I want to be fair. Uh, the, the T4G, I went to the T4G conference in 2018, expecting to be edified and built up. I'm sitting around some Anglo brothers because for me, I just sit around the people I know and I don't care what they look like. If they love Christ, they willing to worship. I had a brother, one guy next to me lifting his hands and singing another one who I knew very well singing. It's like, yeah, this we're at home. We're, we're just rejoicing and singing songs, singing hymns to God. And Derek um, uh, Coughlin was leading from Sovereign Grace. It, it was great. And then all of a sudden, a day or two later, I got blindsided by, by apartheid or social justice. And then in that conversation, they were encouraging uh, people to listen to more and read more of, um, listen, quote, black theologians uh, and, and sing more songs from black artists. All right. Now, let's let's say black theologians. Look, I don't really care what color you are. Maybe that's just my personal conviction. Uh, but I know when God opened my eyes to the doctrines of grace, one of the first places I wanted to go to was Grace Community Church in Sun Valley. I didn't care how Dr. MacArthur looked. I respect his ministry. I just knew that if I go there, he's just going to open up the text, turn with me in your Bible to the book of Mark, and he's going to let the word of God speak for itself. He's going to unleash the text, right? As they say, one verse at a time in grace to you. I sat in the pew. And at the end of the service, uh, I was, I was, my heart was so filled that I just sat there and I wept. Uh, it was one of the first moments in my life where I attended a worship where the centrality of Christ was there. The songs were lofty. 
Yeah, the, the musicians, great musicians, but not quote my style per se, but the truth resonated. The organist, Stephen Sturz, playing marvelously, and uh, the, the horn section playing so well, and, and the pianos playing so effective, and the choir singing uh, those truths. It, it moved upon my heart because truth resonated with someone in whom the spirit of truth and Christ, who is the truth, dwells. And so when I sat there, that moved me greatly. When I was at T4G conference, it moved me in a different direction. I was embarrassed. I was grieved because here you have a man who's a, a flat out liberal, a hater of my savior, uh, being promoted and heralded as someone we should read. Now, if you want to read him in, you know, and take the book back to the library, yes, but adding that to your library, he's not a theologian. Uh, he is. He was a liberal. Dr. Martin Luther King was a liberal. And he hated Christ and his writings. If you go on Stanford University's website, you can look at his writings. It's very clear that he did not have an affinity and affection for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so when I was at that T4G conference and they're just going back and forth about these great men and, and we need to be more involved with, you know, urban pre black pre preachers and black personalities and, and all of those things. Now, I've had men uh, of, of my melanin who have blessed me greatly, but I don't look at it that way. I just look at faithful men, but they just sat there and just had a session as if that's going to satisfy uh, people uh, of, of, of my orientation, what I would say orientation skin-wise. Um, uh, but that was a very embarrassing moment. And then to force that ideology on people there, and then it was almost a session of global repentance, it, it wasn't fitting. It was not fitting. But that is the ideology that is coming from uh, the, the, the likes of the Black Lives Matter movement. That is the ideology that is coming also from, uh, and I'll, I hope to discuss this in the future, uh, Dr. James Cones' Black Liberation Theology, uh, which is to liberate blacks, quote, blacks, and to bind true authentic Christianity. Uh, some of the things that this man has said over the years is absolutely horrible. It is heretical and it is a hopeless message. You know, there's one thing for you to say, I want some certain people to be free. But I was told by the scriptures that who the son of man sets free, he's free indeed. Humanity does not need to be liberated from social bondage. The great bondage is the bondage of sin. And uh, even when Paul was addressing the masses to slave situation in his epistles, you can say that you detest uh, that the word slaves in, in the scripture. Uh, but it is clear that the testimony of the Christian was to bear up in, in their, their slavery and for the masters to be gracious toward the slave because they have a master who is the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel changed relationships. The gospel changed how uh, women were viewed in the church. They were given to the respect to hear the word of God, to participate in worship, but to sit under the teaching and not to be teachers on the pulpit. They were given specific roles that were handed down from creation, and they were to fulfill their obligation as godly mothers in impressing their children with the good news and catechizing them and teaching them the ways of God. Now, in our society with the BLM movement, it is actually an attack against the family, attack against the gospel, and, and some of that has entered into the church. And so, for those who disagree with my position, they really have not given me any biblical support or proof of their position. And when I look at what is happening in the use of color and, and calling us systemic racism, I, I don't have a biblical category for it. 
None at all. Because the use of these categories and, and pressing the world to, to have this global repentance and talk about systemic racism, it's a man-made doctrine. And, and I would say that it is almost in the category of a doctrine of demons. And the reason why it is is because it's a different gospel. The social gospel movement is a different gospel. It is a social gospel. It is a different message. It is a message of liberation from the, quote, white man. Liberation from the, quote, white man's oppression. That, that, is, that is what this movement is all about. But the BLM is increasingly worse in one sense, although they're both equally damning. Uh, the, 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 but when you think about the Black Lives Matter movement, it is to eradicate God. It is to eradicate God's moral standard. It is to undermine the gospel. It is to attack institutions, and the way they do it is by weakening institutions financially so that they cannot actually serve the needs of society, so that society is the one uh, ruling itself and not those authorities. So once again, it works against the authority of God. Okay. You know, you are here and you're listening. You're like, well, some say you're not black enough. Is that true? I guess I'm not because I don't I don't boast in ethnic pride. I am comfortable in my skin because God created me. Psalm 139 says I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. God's handiwork is amazing. I'm grateful to God for all the features he's given me. Um, it, it is a marvel of his creation. And the more I'm satisfied in Christ, the more comfortable I am, in, comfortable with who I am, and I'm grateful for that. But ethnic pride is is a sin, and in fact, when you think of Ephesians chapter two, which is a, a passage I'll be beginning, I'll be teaching on soon. Uh, the Apostle Paul talked about uh, the Jews' heritage and circumcision is handmade, and uh, handmade means man-made. He wasn't taken with the significance of what God said, but what he was drawing is the correlation that he said it was circumcision made by hand, that sometimes what God gives us almost morphs into a personality of its own, and then it becomes idolatry. Ethnic pride is not just pride and a sinful thing. Ethnic pride is a pride of idolatry. It is boasting in what something God has given you and making that significantly more important or better than someone else. Now, no matter where you are in this equation, if you're, quote, as they would say, white, and uh, that, that is your position and you think you're ethnically superior, uh, then you are, you are not living as a Christian and there's a good chance that you're not a Christian. If in your heart you believe that you're superior than others, then there's a good chance that you're not a Christian because all who are in Christ are new creation in the Lord Jesus Christ but then there, there are no distinctions. Scripture says in uh, Galatians 3.28, then, then Ephesians chapter 2 says the hostility has ended in Christ. And so we're one new man or one new humanity in Christ. In Christ Jesus, the, the, the races are divided between those who are still in the first Adam and those in the, Christ, in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is still one race in essence, but there's, there's a new humanity within that race that God is calling out. And he unites us together in him. And so ethnic boasting is unbiblical. To that extent, you would say, well, Paul talked about boasting others. Yes, he talked about boasting in others, but it was in the sphere, in the sphere of the realm of Christ. It wasn't a personal thing. 
But when he did boast of himself, he did so. Second Corinthians chapter 12, he says, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. It was a rhetorical device. He was just using the tool that the other men were using and other false teachers were using or his accusers were using. Uh, it, it was not something that he was saying, let me do this because it's the right thing to do. It, it was, okay, if you want to boast, I will. But then he says, no, I'll boast in my affliction. I'll boast in my suffering. In 1 Corinthians, he says, if you're going to boast glory or boast in the Lord. In, in, in Philippians, uh, he speaks about not boasting, right? In Philippians chapter 3, we do not boast or have any confidence in the flesh, uh, but uh, we, we glorify God because we have no confidence in the flesh, we glory in Christ. And then when he spoke about his past as, as a Pharisee, uh, he spoke of it in, in the most glowing terms, but when it compares to Christ, he says it's all a bunch of dung. So even his history, as he, as he saw Christ and the beauty of salvation in Christ, his history took a backseat and compared to Christ, it looked like a bunch of dung. Now, when we think of uh, ethnicity, uh, ethnic diversity is rich, but ethnic pride is unrighteousness. Ethnic pride is unrighteousness. So if anyone is proud to be, quote, black, they're in the category of idolatrous boasting. If anyone is, quote, proud to be, quote, white, they're in the category uh, of ethnic sinful boasting. And that type of boasting and categorization fits in the wisdom of this age that is geared toward animosity toward God and others than it is the wisdom of God. There's some other things that I can also say about when you look at George Floyd's situation and ours, but it is so critical for us when we are thinking on the terms of racial divides that we ask ourselves what, what that really means. How can we frame that biblically? And so whenever something racial comes up, it is more of a demonic propaganda Satan is using to pull the wool over our eyes. And when we use that systemic racism line, it, it, is, it is deceptive because if there's only one human race, only one race is a human race, we find it to be true from Acts 17, 26, and he made from one man every new nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, right? In Genesis 1, 26 and 27, God says, let us, the counsel of the triune God, let us, make God, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then in verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, and male and female, he created them. And so at the end of Genesis 9, uh, verse 6, at the end of verse 6 of Genesis 9, for God made man in his own image. Now, the racial categories are perilously evil and come out of the womb of evolutionary thinking. Therefore, systematic racism is a fallacious lie. It is one of Charles Darwin's offsprings. Uh, it's an evolving offspring, and it continues to evolve. But here's what is happening. The church uh, will take it as they did. The world gave systemic racism to the church a few years ago and, uh, and other uh, lies, and now we're raising that, adjusting its apparel to look like. So we're dressing up this lie to look like a Sunday apparel. We're commanding global repentance over systemic racism at our conferences. This is a lie from the enemy. As I said in my, the, the previous episode, your worldview is going to help you understand what you're seeing. 
And when it doesn't match with scripture, you cannot accept it. You look at a worldview, look at passages uh, like Ephesians chapter 2. There's a worldview of what it means to be in sin and a biblical worldview of what it means to be in, in, in Christ or to be saved. And that is in verses uh, 4 uh, through 10 of Ephesians chapter 2. And then in verses 11 through 22, you see what reconciliation means. And reconciliation and unity can only come by way of salvation. And within the reconciliation and salvation, where we're united with God and uh, we're reconciled to God, that is, which means that the enmity or the hostility has ended because of what Christ has done. By his blood, we've been reconciled. But also we're reconciled as believers when God saves us into the family of God. Then we are not pursuing reconciliation. Reconciliation has already been accomplished. What we must do is maintain the blessing of reconciliation by continuing to live out in the unity that the Spirit of God has brought to us through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The other form of racial reconciliation is not biblical. It's demonic. It is outside of the gospel. And it is it, its aim is to eradicate the Bible, to be dissatisfied with Christ's work of reconciliation, to not work within the local church where we are, but to try to pursue something globally, which only Christ is going to do. We're told that the Father is going to sum everything up. Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. It is all going to be summed up, not by us. But by God, through his son, Jesus Christ, that the father has ordained that his son be the summation of all things. Therefore, the culmination of all creation, as we see it right now in the salvation of sinners, the culmination of, of it all is the adoption of the sons and daughters of God and also the new creations, uh, the new heavens and the new earth that comes by the power of the Father. So global reconciliation uh, is not biblical. It is a lie. It is a deception. What we are supposed to do is work within our local churches to build uh, solid, affectionate relationships with each other, grow in our love for the Lord Jesus Christ and each other, pursue sanctification, apply Ephesians uh, chapter 4 through 6, make sure that we're fighting the battles together, fighting the battle against sin together, fighting the battle against the adversary together, but we do it God's way using his weapons, his word, and we work together with his people, showing love to each other, and that the world, when they see us, be like, wow, where does this love come from? And we can tell them, let me share with you what God has done in the person of Christ to unite us all together. I'll have more next week. I want to probably get a little bit more into some of the specifics with the theology behind men like uh, James Cone and others. And I hope you'll stay tuned with me. We're just building a bridge. Uh, we, we, we actually taxied on the runway. We're on the runway getting ready to take off. Next week, we'll take off, Lord willing, and discuss this a bit more. A very crucial topic. My heart goes out to all who are suffering, but not at the, not at the risk of truth. We must uphold the truth and speak it in love, and my golden prayer is to do so. May the grace, joy, and peace of our God be with you. Thank you so much.